this is something that we are excited to talk about because we think this is critically important. Mental health, emotional health, and how it intersects with our Christian faith. Because I promise you it does. Okay? Uh, but this is a big deal. Um, we did a, a brief little survey um, uh, in our, our uh, Facebook world of, of those that call Blessed Hope Community Church home and getting out a little bit into the community. We asked the question, how many of you struggle with mental or emotional illness? And 73.1% and answered affirmatively that they struggle or have struggled in the past with emotional and mental health issues. We asked the question, um, how many of you have in your immediate family or your immediate sphere of influence have somebody that struggles with emotional or mental health issues? And 96% of you said yes. 96% of you. We asked, how many of you have sought treatment for your emotional or mental health needs? And it was half. Half of you said we've sought treatment for our emotional and mental health needs, which means half of you that have identified that we have this need haven't sought any kind of help for it. And then we asked this question, and this one, this one cut me a little bit. And it should all of us. Here was the question. For those of you that have a church home, how many of you have shared your need, your struggle, with someone at your church home? And the answer was 40%. So only 4 out of 10 people find that they can openly share their need with the people that they worship the God of the universe with, the people that they've chosen to do life with. Guys, that's problematic. And partly it's because the church has been silent. And so that's why we want to tackle this. Um, but, but here, let's, let's talk worldwide statistics for a little bit, or at least in, in our nation a little bit. Um, one in five adults in the U.S. are going to struggle. Um, oh, come on. Every time. There you go. One in five adults are going to struggle this year uh, with some form of mental illness. That is more people than are going to have the flu right? But we know about the flu. We get shots for the flu. We have signs in the bathroom about how we have to wash our hands for two minutes um, to avoid the flu, right? Saw the sign in the bathroom. You know, you've seen this one that the employees must wash hands. I waited and waited and waited. Nobody ever came to wash my hands. That was a joke. <laughs> We're going to scratch that for the second service because <laughs> I shouldn't have to explain it. Plus, it was a lie. I didn't wait. Anyway, approximately one in five youth between 13 and 18 experience a severe mental disorder at some point um, during their lives. Listen, one of you, if, if we were to say, we typically have about 120 people um, in each of these services, um, and that means about one to two of you, if we were um, looking at this demographically, would be struggling right now with schizophrenia. Three to four of you would be struggling with bipolar disorder. In this room, about nine of you would be struggling with a major depressive episode. About 21 of you would be struggling with some kind of anxiety disorder, whether it's PTSD or obsessive compulsive disorder or some kind of specific phobia. Listen, this is a big deal. 
Um, we need to understand that mental health is significant and that the church is not exempt. Okay, so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to tackle uh, a couple of questions as we kick off this series, and we're going to deal with the fact that um, we're going to deal with the fact that a lot of us are going to be ignorant to mental health. So as we start today, we're going to start from scratch, and we're going to talk about what mental illness is. We're going to talk about from a biblical standpoint, where does it come from, and then how does it manifest itself. In the world that we live in and as we go in future weeks, we're going to talk more about how to deal with those things So let's just start uh, With the big question first one today is what is mental illness? Simply mental illness is a medical condition That causes a disturbance in emotion thinking or behavior or any combination of those three So when we struggle with emotional and mental illness, we're struggling behaviorally We're struggling emotionally and we struggle with the way that we process and think about the things that happen around us. In short, mental illness impacts our ability to cope with life. Right, so if you don't know anything else about it, here's the reality. When we struggle with mental illness, we, we have a struggle that gets in the way with the way that we cope with the life that we're trying to live. And that's problematic, especially for the Christian. Because the Christian, you know this as well as I do, the Christian is supposed to be living a certain kind of life. A Christian is supposed to be living a kind of life, we just got done with this series, that screams about joy. Right? A Christian is supposed to be living a certain kind of life that puts some behaviors behind them for the sake of pursuing righteousness and holiness in Christ. Uh, the Christian is supposed to pursue a, a kind of life that, that, that deals with relationships in a certain uplifting kind of a way. The problem is when we struggle with mental illness and, and it intersects our Christian faith, it gets in the way sometimes of our ability to cope with life and to be who God's called us to be. And we need to acknowledge that and we need to understand it so that, that we can deal with it. You know, we talk about stats and we talk about those things, but, but let me help make it a little bit more personal for you. Okay? In the Netherlands, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, I don't know why you would know this unless you read obscure articles, um, but in the Netherlands, euthanasia is legal. Beginning at age 17, if a doctor signs off on the fact that you have a severe impacting illness on your life that's not likely to get better, you can legally choose to end your life. Earlier this summer in June, a 17-year-old woman named Noah chose to end her life because of what the doctors claimed to be a severe emotional illness that she was not likely to improve from. She was um, sexually abused at age 11 by someone that she was to trust. At age 14, she was raped by two men on the street. She developed post-traumatic stress disorder and anorexia, and she felt like her life was forfeit. Mental health is a serious thing. She tried at age 16 to kill herself by refusing to eat. But in the Netherlands, it's only legal from 13 to 16 if your parents will sign off, and they refused. 
And so when she became so weak that, that she couldn't make it, they took her to the hospital. And in near organ failure, they put her in a medically induced coma and fed her through tubes. But a year later, they had no recourse. Listen, mental and emotional health is a significant thing. It plays a significant part in the way that we do life, and it impacts everything. And we as the church have to understand how to talk about it. We have to understand how to deal with it. We have to understand what to do for self-care, and we have to understand what to do for the people around us. And we have to understand how to thrive in our faith in the face of emotional uh, and, and mental illness. And so here's the deal. What is it? It's a medical condition that causes a disturbance in emotion, behavior, and thinking, or any combination of the three. And mental health exists on a spectrum from mild all the way to severe. On the mild end, right, we have things like um, attention deficit disorder. Now, here's the deal. Um, some of you that have attention deficit disorder or spend time with me know that's not very mild, right? But hear what I'm saying? On the mild end, we have some of those things that impact life, but they don't necessarily impact it um, to the fullness. We have single episode trauma, depression. Maybe it's not um, continued, but it happens, the loss of a pet, the loss of a loved one, um, sometimes even the loss of a child, a divorce. These things can cause depression that happens in the moment. But then on the other end of the spectrum, we have more severe mental illness. Schizophrenia, bipolar, post-traumatic stress, Right? We, we have borderline personality disorder. Right? We have conduct disorders in kids. We have things that are more severe. So mental health exists on this spectrum. And the reality is that most of us will deal with it. The problem is this, when it comes to talking about these things, is that good statistics from LifeWay Research tell us that 50% of people with mental illness don't believe that they're mentally ill. So let's, let's pause that for a second. Can I talk to you? that um, have a loved one that is struggling with mental and emotional health issues and they don't know it and they refuse to buy it and you're, because you love them, trying to tell them, you're trying to communicate to them, you're trying to pour into them. I want to talk to you for a second because I know it's hard. And I know that your tendency is to get angry and I get it and I understand it, but listen to me. In the history of the world, I don't think that's ever worked. So what I want to encourage you to do in that situation is, is not get angry, but get deep in relationship. Let grace win. As much as it depends on you, live at peace. Let grace have its way. And deepen the relationship, because here's what I'm telling you, and this is not just true for mental illness, this is true for anything in life, but, but here, here's the, the thing. You don't influence people by the strength of your argument, but by the strength of your relationship. And I've made that mistake before, and I'd imagine that many of you have made that mistake before, but listen, this is true for anything in life, but especially when we're dealing with something like mental illness, Listen, you do not influence by the strength of your argument. Your argument could be strong. It could be ironclad. It could be 100% locked 
down, there could be no question at all that you are technically right. But you will not influence anybody in that way. You will influence by the strength of your relationship and the grace that flows, that, that flows through it. Now, some of you, I want you to do this. I want you to take that principle, and I want you to apply it to your Facebook life. Okay? And you know who you are. That's fine. Right? <laughs> but you influence through grace and through relationship, not through the strength of your argument and your anger. Okay? But here's, here's how we do this. Um, keep going. Right? The reason that we don't talk about this in church— it's the next big question. So one is, what is mental illness? Two is, why don't we really talk about it very much in church? And the reason we don't talk about it very much in church is something that Steve Sunbeats, a pastor, has called these three unspoken church rules. And, and rule number one is, we don't talk about it. Rule number two is, we pretend everything is fine, right? And rule number three is, no one outside the family will understand, right? You're depressed. You've got problems in your home. There is anger, there's, there's vitriol, there's, there's frustration, there's, there's tension, uh, things are bad. Like, you don't talk about that. You don't talk about it. And instead of talking about it, you, you are the opposite. You pretend everything is fine. Pastor David talked about this last week, right? You're screaming in the parking lot in the car. You are this close to beating your children. You and your spouse are so angry at one another. Right? But you don't talk about that at church. Instead, what you do is you walk through the door and you pretend that everything is fine. You show up at small group. Right? And when it's your turn to share about what's going on in your life, you say, everything's fine. It's no big deal. You know, and when people look at you funny, like, no, 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 seriously, how's it going? You're like, well, you know, we've had a little trouble lately, you know, but everything's fine. It's no big deal. And why? We do that because we're sure that this, no one outside of our family will understand that's why when I ask the question, when we ask the Facebook poll, like, look, we know you struggle. You just admitted that you struggle, right? How many of you will share it with somebody in your church family? 60% of the people said, no, we won't. We will not share it with someone in our church family. Why? Because we don't talk about it. We pretend everything's fine because we're sure that no one outside of our family will understand. Listen, church, that's, that's on us. That's problematic. We need to create an environment that's better than that, right? Some of you here have adopted those rules. You pretend like everything's fine. You look normal, but you and I both know you're faking hard. You're faking it hard. Life has got you in a place where it doesn't work, and we do that because there's great misunderstanding in the church about where this comes from. 31% of people in the church— 31% of people in the church, listen to me now, this is, these are people that love Jesus, that understand Scripture, that understand the nature of sin. 31% of people in the church, in that same Lifeway poll, would argue that mental illness is just an excuse that people use for their behavior, and that they could stop it if they wanted to. That is, three out of every ten people in the church have said that I think that mental illness is just an excuse that people use for their behavior, and they could stop it if they want to. And yet we wonder why people don't feel comfortable to share. It gets worse than that. Fifty percent of Christians surveyed believe that prayer and the Bible study will cure mental illness. 
Which means that statistically speaking, half of the people in this room right now feel like, why are we having a series on mental illness and emotional illness? All a Christian has to do is pray more, read the Bible more, think happy thoughts more, and they'll be okay. 50% of Christians believe that. 50% of you, if that research holds true in this sanctuary, believe that all we have to do is pray harder, all we have to do is read more Bible. It's not true. Can I tell you this? I've read a lot of Bible. I pray. Sometimes more than others, but I pray more than the average person, I would guess. And when I struggle with depression, when I struggle with stress, or when I struggle with emotional and mental health issues, if this is what I'm told, then it shames me, it silences me, and it teaches me. Don't talk about it. Pretend everything is fine. Nobody outside of the family will understand. This is especially frustrating because we Christians know where mental health issues come from. We know it. Go back to Genesis. Genesis 2. The Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may eat freely from any fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. That's what God says. He puts Adam, he puts Eve in the garden, and he says, look, it's all yours. Enjoy. Eat freely of anything you want to, except this one. This one represents this grand choice of choose to follow God or choose to reject God. And guess what? They choose to reject God. Satan tries to convince them, and the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and then she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was standing right there, and he ate it too. Listen to me. This broke everything. See, as Christians, when we say, well, all we have to do is pray more and read the Bible more and think good thoughts more, Right? And that we're just using mental illness as an excuse for our behavior that we don't want to have. Right? Nobody wants us to do it, but we're just using mental illness as, a, as an excuse. We could stop it if we wanted to. When Christians have that attitude, it's appalling. It's weird. It doesn't make sense because we know this. We know that sin is the root cause of this. That sin broke everything. That sin ushers in what we call dysfunction. Dysfunction is the clinical term. If you want the mat term, sin jacked it up. It was good. Sin happened. Now it's jacked up. Now it doesn't work the way that it's supposed to work. And this is where all mental health has its root, is in sin. And it's going to manifest itself in some practical ways, and we're going to talk about those in a second. But before we do that, understand this. There's this foundational understanding, this foundational thing that we stand on that says all mental illness, all emotional illness, all struggle is a result of sin. And, and, and I want you to be clear here. I'm not talking about your sin, right? right? If my great-aunt Bertha struggles with schizophrenia, then I'm not looking at my great-aunt Bertha and pointing my finger at her and saying, well, it's your fault because you sinned. That's not what I'm saying. 
I'm saying all mental illness has as a foundational issue the fact that the world is broken. The world is wrong. Some of you are worried about my great aunt Bertha. Like, what if she listens to this and you told everybody she has schizophrenia? She doesn't exist. I made her up. Just so you know. But because sin entered the world, sin ruined everything. Sin broke us physically. Sin broke us relationally. Sin broke the environment that we live in. We, we, we're, we're seeing the effects of that with hurricanes that are happening um, that were all in the news last week. People are still dealing with the devastation and the destruction of that. That's because sin broke what was meant to be right in the world. Sin broke the world physically, but it also broke us relationally and it broke us physically internally. Okay? So we have to understand that, that sin has at its root, right, dysfunction that messes with everything. Listen to me, Christian. Understand something really, really carefully. We're going to talk about this a little bit more later, and we're going to talk about this throughout the series, but this is not a matter of you trying harder. If you struggle with emotional and mental illness, it is not a matter of you trying harder. It's not a matter of you praying more. It's not a matter of you reading your Bible more. Listen, I want you to pray more. I want you to read your Bible more, but please don't be confused. Those won't fix you. They won't fix you. Okay, so there are three practical causes for mental illness. We talked about that, that sin at the root breaks things, but then it manifests itself in three ways. One is your physical body. This is just simple to understand. There are things that, because of no fault of your own, just being born in a broken world, you are going to struggle. Um, chemical imbalances are a real thing. Where you would have a typical person who's whose hormones would be at this level and whose neurons would fire this way and, and, and their chemical would balance, would, would be right, everything would be good. You will have other people who do not, just like you will have some kids with juvenile diabetes and some kids who will have appropriate insulin and sugar levels. To no fault of their own, they're just born that way. You will have some children that are born with congenital heart defects. And you will have some children that are born with a perfectly functioning heart. There is, because of sin, there is something to be said for the fact that, that many people will struggle with physical issues, chemical issues, internal issues that will cause mental health problems. They didn't do it. They didn't ask for it. They didn't earn it any more than a kid asked for and earned leukemia. But why is it? Why is it that when someone has leukemia, we come around them? We come around their family. We support them. We lift them up. We nurture. We encourage. We bring them food until they have no room left in their freezer. We support them in any way that we can. When someone has a mental illness, we step back. We might say something like, you know what, I'll pray for you. And then we step back. Because there's something about it that makes it uncomfortable for us. But there is something to be said for the fact that some of our physical bodies have something wrong because of the fall that doesn't work correctly, that doesn't fire correctly, that's off balance, that doesn't work, that causes mental and emotional illness. Past or present environment also causes uh, mental or emotional illness. Physical abuse sexual abuse, 
emotional abuse. Parents that are alcoholics or have other drug addictions. Parents that are overly anxious and nervous about everything. Parents that are only overly angry and upset about everything. Being in situations where someone has abandoned me. Being in situations um, where, um, where the way that people are or the decisions that I make, um, they cause mental health issues. Sometimes it's in a past environment, and as adults, we have to deal with that. If, if you are the, the victim of abuse in your childhood or were raised by an alcoholic or an addicted parent, then you get to this point in your life, and many of you know this, you are struggling to deal with the depression and the havoc that that environment wreaks on the way that you live this life now. And sin is at the root of it. But then the way that you've been treated and the things that have happened are manifesting themselves in what you're trying to accomplish now. Soldiers that go off to war know this so well. Because they fight in combat. And then they come home um, and, and they carry the scars of post-traumatic stress syndrome. And that past environment wreaks havoc on the way that they live their life. Sin is still at the root. It's still the foundation, right? We have war and devastation because of sin in the world. But the way that it manifests itself is in this war. And because somebody was in it and fought in it for good and just cause probably, but they come back and they, they have to deal with this. So sometimes it's our physical body. Sometimes it's our past or present environments. And sometimes... It's our poor personal choices. Sometimes it's because we choose to be addicted. Sometimes it's because we choose to live life in a certain way. Sometimes it's because we choose to dabble in things that we shouldn't. Sometimes it's because we get stuck in the snares of pornography and we can't break free. And that brings depression and shame on us. And sometimes it's because uh, of the relationships and the way that we handle them. And so oftentimes, because of our decisions we find ourselves stuck and fighting through mental illness. The problem is this. We talk about those first two. When we talk about mental and emotional illness, though, what most of you think of, what most of you think of is this last one. Most of you go straight to the position of, well, if they would choose differently, if we would live life differently, then we wouldn't struggle with these things. But that's not always the case. Sometimes, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week, sometimes it's because of spiritual oppression. Sometimes spiritually, the enemy is, is pushing down on us in such a way. You're like, wait, Matt, I thought you said you couldn't read the Bible and pray yourself out of it. Listen, pray and read the Bible, and perhaps, right, that will help. I hope that that will help. But the reality is there are any number of reasons that we may be struggling with mental and emotional illness in our lives. And we need to understand that, and we need to get good, right, at being open to one another about where we struggle and why we struggle. Listen, I think the reason we don't do that in the church is because we tend to focus a little bit too much on this idea of victorious living. Now, please don't throw anything at me, because some of you are like, whoa, time out, Matt. We're supposed to focus on victorious living. Yes, we are absolutely supposed to focus on victorious living. The problem is we've taken the idea of living um, victoriously in Christ, and we've 
squished it together and we've pushed it around and we've rolled it out and we've used a cookie cutter to make it what we want it to be. This is my problem with the prosperity gospel. It's my problem with the prosperity gospel because we say we're supposed to have victorious living uh, because Jesus is victorious, therefore so are we. It sounds like a core value that we have, right? Jesus is victorious. So are we. We're supposed to live this kind of life. We're victorious. But then what we do is we take that and we smush it together and we roll it out. We use our cookie cutter that says, see, so my life should be fine. A Christian's life should be great. Because what we mean when we say this, what we're really trying to say is that Christ followers should not have overwhelming or persistent problems because they're victorious in Christ. But listen to me, those of you that struggle with mental and emotional health issues, those of you that struggle to overcome addiction, those of you that struggle with people that do, you know as well as I do, we are not automatically going to have victory in every single thing in our lives. We are not going to be able to overcome all overwhelming, persistent problems just because we have victory in Jesus. Any more than we can be guaranteed that enough faith will make cancer disappear. And, and as the church, we kind of scoff at those folks, don't we? I mean, we're not saying, pray, 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 pray. Listen, if I have cancer, I want you praying for me. I want you praying for my healing. But I promise you this, if you pray for my healing, and I pray for my healing if I have cancer, there's not one part of me that's ever going to say, if it lingers, that it's because we didn't have enough faith. Because in this world that we live in, sometimes God heals, sometimes God doesn't. In fact, it seems like more often than not, God doesn't. That doesn't change our victory. That doesn't change our position. We're still victorious in Jesus. We still are favored sons and daughters of God Most High. We are still living in the kingdom of God doesn't change any of that. It's just that victory didn't fit the cookie cutter that I used. But there's a problem with this. One, it's, it, it, it's lazy. It puts the onus of health back on somebody else instead of the community of the church. When somebody says they're struggling, we say, well, here's what you got to do, right? You got to live in total victory. That means your, your, your illness and your struggle should disappear. When you're doing it right, it'll disappear. It's lazy. It's lazy. Two, it's bad theology. It's dangerous. And here's the other thing. It completely contradicts Jesus. You're like, but Matt, how do you know it's bad theology? I know it's bad theology if it tells Jesus he's wrong. Because here's what Jesus says. There it is. That's what he says. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome this world. This is Jesus saying, this is what victory is. Victory is not that I will make all your trouble in this world go away. He just states it matter-of-factly, plain and simple. In this world, you are going to have trouble. But it's okay. I've overcome this world. The other thing is that there is, there is just this stigma when it comes to mental health. We're just afraid. We're afraid. 
We're afraid what the problem is going to be. We're afraid how people are going to feel us, uh, feel about us when we tell them. We're afraid. Um, we're afraid that uh, that people will shun us. We're afraid that if they know that maybe they won't want us in their small group. We're afraid that if they know, maybe they won't sign up for ours. We're afraid that if they know, then then we'll be exposed. They'll know that we're not as good as we claim to be for years and years. You know, the staff had a great discussion about this. It was about an hour long, 45 minutes long, something like that, um, that we recorded. Um, and, and Jim put it together for us. It's on YouTube. Uh, you maybe have seen the trailer online. It was just a couple of minutes of our having the conversation. But that went on for about 45, 50 minutes. And one of the, the most impactful things in there for me was, was when Pastor David made the comment that, you know, the problem is if you fake it for so long, then even if you want to share your struggle, you, you struggle with that. You have a hard time sharing your struggle because what it means is that you've been lying for years. Listen, what if, what if we just got to the point where as a church, we just took the masks off? What if we got to a point where we could just be a church that says, you know what? We're going to treat people like Jesus did. You know how Jesus treated people? About the closest connection I could make to sometimes the way we treat people with mental health issues, significant mental health issues, um, to, to what was going on in, in Jesus' time was the way that lepers were treated. If you go back and you read through the Gospels, you, you'll read about lepers. Rep lepers were shunned. They were outcasts. They were pushed aside. Um, they, were, they were treated with shame and indignity. And, and most people were distrustful of lepers, not just because of the disease they carried, but this, because the assumption was they had earned it somehow. You remember the story in, in the New Testament where they bring a blind man to Jesus who was born blind, and they say, Jesus, this man was born blind. Whose fault was it? Was it his fault, or was it his parents' fault? And, and Jesus is like, time out, you've got this all wrong, right? This man wasn't born blind because of a sin that his parents committed. He wasn't born blind because of a sin he was going to commit. The world is broken. He said this, though, what I'm going to do, I'm going to show my power through him, and I'm going to bring healing and hope in his life. Right? The, the general assumption was that if somebody had a disease and leprosy was the worst of them, or if somebody had a disease, that it was their own fault. And we have to decide as a church, how are we going to approach mental illness and emotional illness? How are we going to handle it? Are we going to handle it like the rest of the world handled leprosy, or are we going to handle it like Jesus did? Here's what Jesus did. Large crowds followed Jesus. He came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him, knelt down before him, and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Everyone else would have shunned him. Everyone else would have run the other way. Everyone else would have distrusted him and thought he had earned it because of his behavior. But Jesus does this. He reaches out, and he does the unthinkable. He touches him. He says, here's the thing. I'm willing. Be healed. As a church, this is what we have to do. We have to put aside our prejudices we have to put aside our frustration. We have to put aside our wrong understandings. And we have to get down. We have to stoop down. We have to reach out our hand. And we have to do life with people that struggle. And if you are somebody that struggles, listen to me. I get that it is scary. I get that it's scary to say, hey, here I am. And I got trouble. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in this. And I'm staking my pastoral reputation on it. 
I trust us. I trust us. You're like, but Matt, Matt, I've been burned before, or what if it doesn't go well, or what if it's not right, or, or what if I am shunned? I get the worry, I get, I, I get the worry. But I trust us. I think about some of the conversations that Pastor David and I have had with one another. I think about some of the conversations that I've had with the elders about things that I struggle with and things that are going on in my life, and here's the deal. Ultimately, I trust them. I trust, I trust us as a body to be able to do this. So I want to encourage you to be bold. What if we were that church? What if we were that church that created that kind of environment where people didn't have to walk in and when they were asked, they didn't just say, yeah, I got, no, I'm fine, I'm faking it, I'm good. But instead, this was a church where people knew that, you know what, they will understand. And they will lift me up. And they will pray for me. And this was a kind of church where we could find hope and healing and redemption. And the families of those struggling could find hope and connection and community. What if this was that kind of church? This is important. And it's something we need to continue to grow in. And that's why we're doing this series. So here's where we're going. Right? We're talking about identity this week. How do we understand where are we? What are we struggling with? How does mental illness happen? What is it? Um, we're going to talk next week about the danger of trying harder. Right? So we're going to dig into that and, and talk, and there'll be some freedom for you there, um, I hope. Uh, there's freedom for me there when I, when I prep and prepare and, and, and plan and pray, and I hope there'll be freedom for you in that. Then we're going to get specific. We're going to talk about depression, addiction, and suicide, trauma, and abuse, Anxiety and panic and then when we wrap it all up We're not going to tell you that we have magic bullets But we are going to tell you that there is self-care that can work To bring hope and freedom in your life It's not going to fix and wipe away every problem that you have but it, it it's going to be Encouraging and uplifting for your soul. I hope Here's the deal. There is a day coming and we'll talk about this more next week There's a day coming when when God will make all things new and he will wipe away every tear until then, as a community of faith, we come alongside one another. We offer support. We offer love, grace, encouragement, forgiveness, compassion, and we live life together. That's what we're called to do. It's who we're called to be. And the last thing I want to tell you is this. So you ask the praise team to come up and, and, and prepare to close this out. Some people ask me, as we sit in my office for counseling or as I have conversations, um, they ask me all the time. They want to know, Matt, how does God see me? They especially want to know that if they struggle with chronic mental illness. How does God see me? Does he see the mistakes I make because of my illness? Does he see the heart that I have of what I wish I was doing? Does he forgive me? Does he really forgive me? Because if he really forgave me, would I still struggle with this? If I was really a Christian, would I still really struggle with this? How does God see me? Listen, I just want to tell you this. God does not see you. Listen to me. This is, I, I need you to hear. If there's nothing else that you hear, hear this if you struggle. God does not see you as abnormal. God sees you as beloved. God does not look at you and see your struggle. He looks at you and he sees a son or a daughter in Christ. He loves you to the point that he sent his son to die for you. And when you confess your sinfulness to Christ and you turn from yourself and you trust him with your life, when you trust him with your life, he sees you as son. He sees you as daughter.
does not see you as abnormal. He sees you as someone that is deeply beloved. Romans 8.38 says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Not death, life, angels, demons, our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Can I add to that? Not even chronic mental illness. Not even stupid behavioral choices that stem from chronic mental illness. Not even waking up in the morning and, and, and wishing that you were dead because you can't see how to face another day. None of those things will separate you from the love of God that is yours through Christ Jesus. If you don't know that love today, then I would encourage you, let's talk, right? It's not complicated. It's just simply a matter of saying, Jesus, I know who you are and I surrender my life to you. And if you have surrendered your life to him, listen, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I am never going to stand up here and tell you that it's not hard. But I'm going to tell you this, that you're loved and your struggles will never separate you from the love of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are good and gracious and kind and we love you. We thank you that you look at us and you don't see our struggle. You're aware of our struggle. You support us in our struggle, but you don't see our mistakes. You look at us and you see a beloved child. Father, we thank you for the truth of Jesus and, and the promise of the cross. We thank you that you have given us a way to cast our cares on you and to trust you in all things. Father, I pray for those that are struggling. I pray that they would know how you feel about them. That through the power of your spirit, you would encourage them in the depths of their hearts and they would know that they are beloved. Father, I pray that... Um, pray that if there's anybody here that has not surrendered themselves to you to experience that connection that we're talking about, that they would not leave here today before surrendering, that they would just confess in the depths of their heart that they know they're broken and they know they make mistakes, they know they're sinful, and that they would accept the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and they would choose to give their lives over to him today. Father, I pray that we would walk away encouraged knowing that we're not alone and that the church is a place that can be for us and can be a community of believers that builds into one another and that helps us do life together. Father, we love you and we praise you and we just thank you for all things. Amen.